Well, as we start the time for our message this morning, I want to start by just thanking uh, Don Ashburn for the last couple of sermons we've had the last couple of weeks as we entered into our time of transition. And uh, I want to kind of continue with that theme this morning and kind of help us figure out, or at least give us some suggestions for who we are as a church and what kind of church we want to continue to be and to become. And to start with that, to help us get our identity, I want to go back and, uh, and the scripture lesson today is from Acts chapter 2. And the occasion of this scripture is, is the formation of the first Christian church, which happened weeks after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And they simply were gathering together and trying to figure out what this thing called church really is. So read with me, if you will, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that was how the first Christian church met. They were communal. They lived together and they looked after each other's needs. And really from that point on to now, the church has had 500 year cycles of change. And each of the 500-year cycles had some prominent thing that happened um, that caused a serious look inward to the church, and there was strife and struggles, and there was something that tried to get the church back on track, to get the ship back where it was supposed to be going. And uh, I just want to go through a couple of those with you to give you the background that change within the Christian church is nothing new to us. Um, so roughly 500 years after the time of Acts chapter 2 that we just read, uh, the church was in the middle of seven different councils that would meet over different periods of time where they would get together and try to figure out doctrine and the rules of the church and the, the guidance and, and things. And so in the middle of that, um, Pope Gregory the Great was uh, appointed Pope of Rome, and he was a catalyst for really good change for the church. Um, he was the first pope to be appointed that had both a monastic and a political background. He held offices in the Roman government as well as being appointed pope. Um, and he really brought a spirituality to that position. And he, he's credited for really starting a, an outward look missionally towards other than just Rome. And he would send missionaries and he actually was credited with the, the conversion of Britain to Christianity. Um, so he started a lot of good things back on track for the church. But as usual, as the years and decades and centuries went on, the church would have good times and bad times and struggles and would get a little off track. So roughly 500 years after Pope Gregory the Great and the help that he gave the church uh, came to the year 1054. And that was the year that the Christian church split and they gave the, the term the Great Schism. And it basically were Protestant and Catholic originated. And the Protestant church broke away 
They had differences of opinion and differences of theology and everything like that. And again, that break was going to lead to some good, healthy changes for the church. But over time, the Protestant church began to splinter even further and further into many, many, many denominations. Um, from that point on, with the Catholic church really having its own identity, it had some downfalls too, with uh, selling of indulgences and, and corruption within the Catholic church. So again, that cycle continued. 500 years later, you have the year 1517, and there was a guy named Martin Luther who was so fed up with the corruption and waywardness of the Christian church, he came up with 95 theses, wrote them on a piece of paper, and stapled them to the Wittenberg door, the door of the Wittenberg church. And those statements, those 95 statements, were what was wrong with the church at that point. And so he became a catalyst for what we now call the Reformation, the change of the church back to what it was supposed to be. Um, and then you add another 500 years, and you come to October of 2017. And I think as we look at our church history from Martin Luther till now, we have to agree that the church has had good times and it's had some bad times. It's done real good for the work of God, and it's done some harm. And I think to take an accurate look at it, we have to acknowledge that, that the church has done some things that have hurt people. An example of that is by a census taken, there are as many as 37 million people in the world who call themselves Christians, that have a personal relationship with God, um, that want their Christianity and their spirituality to affect the way they live, but they want nothing to do with the church as an organization. They don't attend churches. Um, they won't associate with them. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we get to a point where that many people who say they love Jesus and have a relationship with God and call themselves Christians don't want anything to do with the church. And I think, again, we have to agree that it's time for the church as a global institution for Christianity, it needs to go through some changes again, some times of transition. And it's not, you don't have to put two and two together too often to realize that we're in a time of transition. So I think it's a really good thing for us to have some introspection and some examination of who we've been as a church, um, how we functioned, how we've honored God, um, and maybe even how we have not done so good sometimes. And I think now is a great time to do that. And I want to just offer a couple of suggestions and challenges for us that will move us towards taking that introspection. And I just want to share with you what my hope that our church continues to be and continues to evolve into. And the first Part of that is I really hope that our church will be known for and will exist as people of prayer. And I want to back up just for a second. I, you know, I grew up playing sports from a young age, and, and it was just ingrained into me from my dad and my coaches, you know, that question of what kind of a team do we want to be? Or how can we be better as a team? And really the answers that all of them gave was, well, if you want to determine the kind of team you want to be, you first have to determine what kind of people you want to be and what kind of a person you want to be. So when I say that my hope for our church is that we would be people of prayer, I'm in the front of that line, and I need to continue to be a person of prayer. And I challenge us as a congregation and as individuals just to see where we are in our prayer life. Now, years and years ago, I went to a, from, when we lived in New York, I took a trip to Washington, D.C. for a convention. 
And as I did sometimes, I brought one of my sons with me, just so he could kind of stay in the hotel and hang out. Um, and the conference was over on Sunday morning. So Sunday afternoon, he was a lacrosse player at the time. So I took him over to Georgetown University. We watched the lacrosse team practice. It was great. He had a good time. Um, and then the afternoon, we're finished with that practice. We're kind of looking at other things to do for Sunday evening. And it occurred to us that the Washington Wizards, the professional basketball team, was playing in D.C. that night. And at that time, my son was 11, and the Washington Wizards had an all-star basketball player named Michael Jordan playing for them on their team. So he says to me, Brant says to me, how cool would it be, Dad, if we can go to the game? Can we please try to go to the, the Wizards game? And I tried to explain to him, you know, I don't have tickets, but he wore me down. So we went to this, the arena, and we stood outside to see if we could get tickets from somebody. Um, and we had two or three, I just was standing there with my son in front of me, and I just had two fingers up above his head, just indicating we needed two tickets. And uh, about four or five different people came over to me, and they had tickets for sale, but they were like, the cheapest ones were 80 bucks, and they went well over 100 bucks for seats in the, uh, the arena for the basketball game. And, and every time somebody came over, my son looked up, and he got so excited, and he looked at me, and I was just like, I don't have that. You know, I, I can maybe go like 30 bucks a ticket or something. Um, so it was a disappointment after disappointment. And after that third or fourth person came over and we just didn't have the money to buy the tickets, they left. Brant turned around and looked up at me. He goes, Dad, do you think we can pray that God will help us get tickets? And I was at a little bit of a dilemma. I was like, well, I'm not sure how concerned God is about whether we go to the basketball game or not. But I could see in his eyes a confidence and a belief and a faith and a trust that if we prayed, God was going to help us get tickets. So I said, sure, son, you pray. And that little 11-year-old prayed to God that we would get tickets for that basketball game. And I, honest truth, within two minutes, three guys in sport coats came over. And he saw us, the, the, they saw us there, and he had two tickets in his hand. He said, hey, man, I see you're here with your son. We had two of our colleagues that couldn't show up. You're welcome to them if you want them. And they just gave them to us. We were grateful. I offered to buy them a beverage and the thing or whatever. They said, don't worry about it. We ended up sitting 10 rows behind the Wizards bench. And my 11-year-old son got to witness Michael Jordan play basketball. Now, that can get a little theologically sketchy about whether God answered that prayer and provided those tickets or whether he had a hand in any of it. But my point is, what I witnessed in prayer by my son that's something I want to emulate in my prayer life with just such a trust and expectancy and, and faith that God will honor our requests. And as we move forward as a church, how cool would it be if we are people individually and corporately praying with that kind of fervor and faith and trust and belief that we will be God's church and we will do church well. So I hope that we are people of prayer as we figure out what kind of church we want to be. I also hope that we are people with a courageous trust in God. You know, the, the word belief in the Bible is used often, but in the original language when the Bible was written, that word that comes out as belief really is more accurately trust. So when it says, you know, have, have your belief in God, it really, they're speaking more to having trust in God. And having trust in God that is unwavering and that changes you. And for years, I would take students to a camp in Missouri called Camp Barnabas. And it was a camp for special needs children. And it was the one week a year. And these were severely challenged children. 
Um, and it was usually the one week a year that they could just go be normal kids. And it was the only time of the year that their families could be normal families and an active caretaker for their children 24-7. Um, so one of the guys at the camp that I was responsible for one week um, was 13 years old. His name was Joe. And he was severely um, challenged and had deformities in his arms and his legs. Um, his legs never developed, so he had two prosthetic legs. Um, and the, the stumps that he had were very odd and disfigured, but he got along good. He had his own little gait, and he would do things, and they would get to do camp things. You know, they would get to go swimming and on the water slide, and they would get to do a high ropes course and a, and a zip line. And so we got to the high ropes course, and I just said, you know, Joe, if, it's okay if you don't want to do this, because to do this, you're going to have to take your, your legs off, um, and you're just going to have to make it work for yourself, and it, it, it might be scary up there. And he looked at me, and he said, Scott, i got to do it. God's got me. And that kid, with a rope, hand over hand, pulled himself up to the start of the up to ropes course, and I went up there with him, and the things that he did and the courage that he had to do those in his condition made a huge impact on me because he had such a courageous trust and knew in his heart that God's got me. I'm going to be fine. And he scampered around and did that without any question at all. What if we were people of prayer and people with courageous trust that what God has in store for us as a church is something amazing and incredible? And we, we, we follow those leads from our prayer and we go in the direction and the way that God has for us with courageous trust. I hope we can continue the times that we have been courageous and had trust in God and that we will continue to do that and move in even greater and new directions as well. The last thing I want to challenge and my hope for us is that we would be people that would be part of a church that are so much more concerned about being like Jesus than we would ever be about being right. And I don't mean to accuse us as a church of being the opposite of that, but I can honestly tell you that the greater Christian church is so guilty of that. It has caused so much pain by saying, you're in, you're out, you're not good enough, you don't agree with us, we have the corner on the right market, we know what God really wants from us, and if you don't agree with us, then you're not in. And I never want Piedmont Community Church to be a place like that. If we are a church made up of people that desperately want to be like Jesus, we will be people that never let opinions trump relationships. We'll never let an argument get between how we really feel about each other. Let me just remind you of a couple of character traits about Jesus. He always chose relationships over beliefs. He was selfless, always put people before himself. He took good care of those that needed it. He always had time for people. He had a genuine care for everybody. And everyone knew that he cared about them when they were in his presence. Everything he did had its origin in the will of his father. Nothing just on his own. He was passionate and he was compassionate. And if we are a people, individuals and corporately, that desperately want to be like Jesus, and we live our lives to the best of our ability to be Christ-like, how can we ever go wrong as a church and as an institution and as a, a beacon in our town? If we can be people of prayer and people of courageous trust and people trying to live their lives like Jesus, 
I have the utmost confidence and hope and trust in the future of Piedmont Community Church. Let's do this together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you honestly for the past here at Piedmont Community Church. And I thank you for the opportunity to have some introspection and time of transition and, and possible changes. And God, I just pray that you would give us courage. You would help us to be people of prayer. And you would help us and guide us to live a life like your son. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, as we end our service, please bow with me for a benediction. And may your heart be full. May you know the love of your father and the love of the son. And may you enjoy the life that it provides as we go from this place. In the name of Jesus, amen.